Welcome to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Karen and Louisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library, yeah. Kia ora, listeners. I'm here today with the authors and the publisher slash editor of a brand new book by two Auckland authors, which is called When We Remember to Breathe, with a very revealing subtitle, Mess, Magic, and Mothering. The authors are Renee Liang and Michelle Powells, and the publisher is Magpie Pulp in the person of Lisette Duplessis. Yeah. I realize I didn't check with you. Do you pronounce the S on the end of your name? No, no, no. Plessis. Plessis. Yeah. I didn't really your voice road. <laughs> so, welcome to you all. Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you. you. Very pleased to have you today. So, I, um, rather than read um, a little list that I might have prepared of the achievements of the authors, because I think in this book, the voice of the authors is so important, and they are authors, they are writers, um, didn't just pick up the pen now to write this book. It's an informative book. So um, I'm going to quote from the about the authors in the front of the book because if people go into a bookstore, this is what they'd be doing. They'd be opening the book. And I think it's um, very apt, and, and I enjoyed reading them very much. So we've got Michelle Powells. Despite training in law, or perhaps because of it, Michelle has been a dancer, producer, and writer across the globe from India to Bosnia, Brazil to Edinburgh. She is now the mother of two small, loud boys who seem to have inherited her fondness for generating fantastical scenarios, mostly under their beds. Her fiction and nonfiction has been published widely and broadcast for radio in New Zealand and the United Kingdom. And she was New Zealand's 2010 Robert Burns Fellow and has been selected for the 2018 Film Up program. Now, Renee Liang. Renee has spent her whole life unsure of exactly what she is, and she expects to never find out. Renee is a writer, a mother, a sister, a daughter to parents who made the decision in their 30s to emigrate to New Zealand from Hong Kong, a poet, a playwright, a pediatrician, an arts journalist, and a medical researcher. She's written, produced, and toured seven plays. She's worked with community and organized community-based art initiatives, such as New Kiwi Women Write, and... She's a member, congratulations on this one, Renee, was appointed in 2018 a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit Thank you. for Services to the Arts. I was so pleased when I saw that come through. Um, Renee and I go back to a number of National Poetry Days at Central Library. So, yeah, it was great to see that name come up in lights this year. So, back to us, um, back to the book. Switching from my um, author blurbs to book blurb. So I thought that, Michelle, as it was your idea to write to the, the creation of this, um, of this work, mm-hmm. that you could give us a bit of background as to how the idea came to you. Well, I was a mother of one a very small child and almost a mother of another small child. And I had been reading a lot about parenting and mothering and I came across this collection of essays from two Canadian poets who weren't talking about parenthood at all. But it was a really lovely back and forth conversation. Unfortunately, I can't remember them, so I can't give them any credit. And then I had previously read an Enright's Making Babies book as well and really enjoyed that. And then I spotted on social media that Renee was having her second baby not long after I was having my second baby. And we had worked together on New Zealand Book Month, I think. And I said, hey, I've always wanted to write more about 
being a mother and having a child, but in a more lyrical, um, literary way rather than, oh, he rolled over. Um, so what do you think? Do you think we should try and do something? And she, like she would have said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Renee, yep. Obviously <laughs> went, are you mental? Yeah, I, went, <laughs> I think I went, uh, okay. <laughs> Not, uh, yeah. Like, I think you went, are you mental first? And then we both went, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. So it, it became something that fed both of us quite quickly on. Mm. Yeah. It's possibly a new, a newer version for our century of the epistolary novel, of that sort of Charing Cross Road novel. It's email, so it's sort of quicker and more immediate. Mm-hmm. And I think also you can feel in the book this fact, as everyone always says, letters composed as emails. Were you, you were emailing these back and forth, right? I'm not mm-hmm. going off on a wrong one. <laughs> Let me know first before I make an idiot of myself. Um, that you, there is a more of an immediacy. You're not polishing it as you're writing it. I mean, both being right you're seeking clarity and you want to know that by the end you've expressed what you wanted to express and well but it's not um, you know it hasn't been written and rewritten it's sort of very an immediate expression Mm. I think although there was a sense that because I was writing to another writer I felt really free to use kind of a more literary construct so sometimes we sent poems which you'll see in the book um, and obviously there are actually conversations in the form of play scripts as well which sometimes occur so I think we tried to explore quite a lot of the different forms um, particularly I think um, i probably say the short essay would be a good description of a lot of the passages in the book. They're very tiny. They're often about a page to a page and a half, but they are little essays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is that uh, almost like a, the version of the essay in flash, flash fiction essay um, or the the crits, as they're sometimes called, you know, little pieces in books that might disconnect, but they stand alone, but they're also part of a larger picture. Um, and so I think this is actually this is a really good um, that you said that because I did feel that this, what I appreciate about this book was that it avoided being just another parenting book. So I was going to put that to you. <laughs> um, I, so you, Renee, have a really good line in the book, which I loved, which was about parenting books. That a, a mother who had come to you when, as a doctor and was asking about the advice in her parenting book, and you said, well, I told her babies can't read, so they don't know what the parenting book says. Was that a, a conscious thing to make this book not just a parenting book? Oh, yeah, they're far too many. Um, and, and I mean, a lot of what my, uh, and with my first baby, I did buy all the parenting books. I think there are about five or six on my bookshelf still. Um, and uh, there was just never time to read them. But when you did, you know, occasionally read a page, you just immediately feel guilty because my baby's not following the rules. Oh, my gosh. Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my baby? Do I need to take the baby back and get it fixed? Mm. Oh, oops, I am the person that you're supposed to take it back to get it, the baby fixed. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things. And then I was very glad... Um, and this is advice I actually give to the parents that come to my clinic now as well, that I, 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 didn't, I didn't take the books off the shelf the second time round. I thought, no, I think I'm just this baby, learn, get to know my baby and it, let him get to know me. Yeah, the baby's the expert, as they say. You follow your expert. baby. Yeah, yeah, they're happy to lead despite yeah. being brand new. And you, Michelle, you've got also a line... Um, about advice and how no, it was one of the subtitles I think of one of your um, pieces advice and how to ignore it mm, yes yeah because there is kind of a, a culture it is quite a white middle class culture as well we've talked about that before of 
so much advice and also so much conflicting advice. And so we weren't we weren't setting out to give advice in any form. We were really setting out to create something beautiful and like a memory making exercise, really. And it was also for us to start with. It wasn't necessarily for a public audience until Lisette came along and said, "Oh yes, it's for a public audience." So yeah, that I think adds to that level of intimacy and emotionality that you get within it. Yeah, that's a really good point to um, a really good bridge to bring in. I would really love to hear something about um, the process of getting the book published and how you met Lisette or did you already know her? So who took the first steps there and wants to lead off with telling us about that? Well, Lisette was a friend of a friend of mine, and we had met just because she's like, you guys should meet. Yes. And we did. And then I said, oh, I've got this thing. Do you want to read it? And Lisette went, yes, yes, of course, and enjoyed it and had been pondering starting up Magpie Pulp at the same time and that kind of while well, Oh, yeah. is that right? So yeah. Magpie Pulp is new as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd been thinking about this idea of crowd publishing books because I thought I'd had, as an editor, I'd had a lot of wonderful books come my way. I did a lot of books come my way that were really good, but I knew that probably in the current climate, publishers might be just a bit cautious. And But I knew they were great books that would find an audience. They just needed to be put in front of them. And so when Michelle's book came to me, um, I saw a perfect example of a beautiful book that would find plenty of willing, loving readers. And I thought this is a great a wonderful book to start that first chance of presenting a book to readers in a crowd fund. And personally, the book touched me because I'm also a mum of two young children and what I thought they'd done perfectly was express all of those moments that I couldn't put into words because I'm not a writer. And I knew that if other mums read it, they would go, oh my God, that is so what that felt like. And and that's where it's not, um, it's not preachy at all because it's just describing real true moments and that's that's what I loved about it but yeah and so it's published and now it's going out into bookstores and libraries and everywhere which is pretty exciting so it's got this wonderful um line here is this like going to be a a series of books the sisters we got this yeah that's another whole big thing really actually and that was one of the things that attracted us to this the sisters we got this story I'm yet to kind of turn that into the next giant branch of things but Sisters We Got This is an idea that I had when I'd worked on a book called 200 Women which was it's called 200 Women Who Will Change the Way You See the World and I uh, edited 200 interviews for this and at the end of it I came out going oh my god these women are incredible and they are just doing everything they can in their power to make the world better using whatever their unique talents are and I thought well okay well what are my what are my talents and my talents are creating books and publishing and publishing them so I thought right that was kind of my inspiration and sisters we got this is this idea that if we all did what's in our power whatever our talents and it wouldn't matter whether that's something big and grand or small like helping your neighbour who just needs help with their groceries you know if we all did whatever we could within the realities of our lives we could make pretty incre- incredible impact so that's what sisters we got this is and and so, I, yeah oh, no sorry go ahead yeah so um in future i would like to see a whole collection of books that our sisters we got this for magpie 
Yeah, and this would definitely be a, a, a success. And I was almost stepping over you just then because I was so enthusiastic about recalling how Jacinda was just interviewed about paying the groceries of the woman that found that she got to the checkout and couldn't pay for her groceries. Yeah. So she would be, she's right up there. Oh, yeah, she's got this. One. She's definitely got this. <laughs> The uh, tone where you were saying, I can't remember the words you used now, but to say that the book was not presenting a perfect uh, motherhood so that other people could identify with it, was um, you have a great title in one of yours, Michelle, which is The Undomestic Goddess. Mm. So were you quite aware of that sort of a, um, the, the, the self-deprecating side to telling a story about motherhood when you're sharing it with people you don't actually have sitting at the table with you. I guess so. I guess also I am just an undomestic guy. <laughs> <laughs> My poor long-suffering husband likes a tidy house. We were talking about this the other day when, when Lisette and Renee came over and they're like, oh, your house is tidy. I'm like, yes, my husband has been home. Because <laughs> <laughs> as well as sharing a correspondence about um, having a ba- being pregnant, having a baby and, and raising our babies we also managed to share a builder through my house <laughs> renovations and, yeah. and the um, builder not being michelle herself even though no, she did work on her own building that's true but <laughs> that's no, right no, the builder that worked on our house yeah. so yeah so um the other thing that i really like so talking about the um self-deprecating side to it which is not i do want to put this out there because there's so many of them already the sassy memoir by the american by the well often they're american um not necessarily <laughs> not it's not a prerequisite that the sassy um you know a book written for effect that every line is actually like a stand-up comedian line this is not a book of stand-up comedy it's actually very multifaceted and it's in some ways it has an air almost of being a, what you're collaborating on is almost a diary mm. isn't it um, with the memories of, of, of a journey so it's sort of like when people um, you know go off on their motorcycles and go through Mongolia and then write the book about only instead of being on motorcycles you were on a couch <laughs> breastfeeding <laughs> did it feel was there a bit of that component of the getting down the memories isn't there Absolutely, yes. So um, I, I think it really helped to, to know that Michelle was on the other end of the email. It, it does it does change the style that you write because um, it's, it's another mum who will get it. And so there was a lot of, hey, remember this or remember that? Or, hey, this is how I'm going. How are you going? And so there is that give and take. But as Michelle was saying, it's just really intimate because it was just between us. And we haven't really changed that for the book. I think it's it's mostly just a a little opening of a, a a correspondence, a secret diary, and a correspondence at the same time. So it was just for you, but at the same time, um, it was universal enough that you felt at ease with putting it out there, find, knowing that it would find an audience. Yeah, I guess because we are both writers, you know, as part of our profession, that was always going. You're always writing, hoping that someone will read, even though in this case, initially, it was just Renee and myself. The way that you write when you become a writer, I guess, is you're always hoping that there's a bigger audience. And so when it became clear there was, that was a nice thing to have realized. Yeah, possibly that's also something that drives people to become writers when they do feel that they have something to express. And they, I, I'm um, against this thing of people having to be modest about thinking that they're good at expressing things. I think that, you know, when people talk about ambitious writers and non-ambitious writers, I have this theory that if you've got talent and a way of telling that speaks to people that you want to do, get the widest audience possible. And I can't see that that could be something to, um, you know, point a finger at. 
So, um, yeah, so good for your ambition. <laughs> did you work, was there an editing process at the end? Did you say, no, maybe this is too personal? Or? Yeah, we actually, when I came over to my house a couple of times and we literally lay all of the pages out on the floor and walked around them and changed the order and then took them out and realised where there were some holes and wrote some more work over the next year, I think. As the kids got older, yeah. and you list that you're an editor, so yep. did you do some editing together with the yeah? I did the authors here. She did a lot. More than some. Yeah. Oh, it was it was a very it was a very annotated manuscript, and the form is is obviously it feels and reads much more like it was written on purpose, it, and it wasn't, you know. And but at the same time, it didn't. Lizette didn't really touch the the intimacy and and some of those revealing moments where perhaps if we'd been writing for consumption, Mm. public consumption at the beginning, we probably wouldn't have put that stuff in. Mm. Um, And also we both kind of went to our husbands and was like, we've we've written this thing about you, is that okay? Yeah, they got the tick. I should say, it's beautiful writing, it was beautiful writing. I didn't feel like I had to do much. I felt like they they knew what they were trying to say. Sometimes you feel like you're really trying to have to help an author get to what they're trying to get across, whereas in this case these two knew exactly what they wanted to say and actually expressed it pretty beautifully anyway. So... Yeah, yeah, I think that's really true. It shows in the book. So I'm remembering a line that you put in, Renee, where you're talking about how what's happening right now are actually becoming memories. You're in the process in some way of making memories. And you say um, you're aware that someday memories will be only shadows. They'll be but shadows. And I wanted to cheer because I thought she didn't, she's avoided that. She didn't say golden, (laughs) which is that sort of elegiac, you know. So I have one of the words that I absolutely, um, you know, after iconic, another cliche that I just can't stand is the elegiac. And you've really managed to make this not an elegiac book, although it is elegiac, but it's not an elegiac book. Does that make sense? I guess so. I mean, I uh, my my kids are aware they're in a book, um, and they they haven't they're not actually at the level where they can read it, although that is not that far away. But I I think it would be interesting for them to read back and see what what it was like, because of course this book covers the time before they turned five or before the oldest child turned five, and so this is beyond their memory. So they're they're, they're characters in a book that is mm. beyond their memory. So in some ways it's almost a laying down of memories for them as well because they won't be able to have them themselves. Mm. You talk, Michelle, a lot about, so your children are avid storytellers. You tell them stories and they invent stories. Do they make themselves characters in their stories? Are they Sometimes, yeah. I mean, their favourite thing is to have made up, like they love to have books read to them, but they also love made up stories in bed and they usually make me include them in their stories and sometimes when I'm reading books I have to change the characters' names to be their names. I think that's quite a common thing that children do mm. so that they feel like they're really in there. But they, I kind of started before this book, I started writing down little things that they would say and sharing them on Facebook and some of them have ended up in the book and when I was talking to them about being in this book they were asking, so what's in the book? I'm like, well, you know, there's not burgers and all of the things that they would come in and they they were very appreciative of that <laughs> being put down in print. Yeah, no, that's it. It was the keeping it real. I um, I really yeah. appreciate that. So when I said about Elijah, what I, I think that that's expressed very well what I perhaps 
hope didn't express too badly, which is that it's not an elegy. I didn't see this book as an elegy to motherhood. I saw it about real motherhood. So elegies have always been purified because they're honoring something. And this was not about that. This was about this is the real way that we live as as this is our situation. Mm. Well, quite often they were written at the time things were happening or shortly afterwards. Mm. So, I mean, they were, you know, in, in my, you know, in the book I actually write about how I managed to, to balance my baby and my boob and the pillow and the computer at the same time so that I was able to write. It's terrible mothering. But, <laughs> you know, that kind of, that that hunger as well, you know, like the, one of the things that, that I re- remember being really thankful for with Michelle's suggestion is that you never stop being a writer, not even when you're really tired mm. and you've had no sleep. Like sometimes I'd be like, I'm really tired. I know I've got two hours till the next time I wake up, but I'm just going to get this thing down because otherwise it'll go and I want to have it. So mm. it was quite grateful. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something you can feel with both of your contributions is that it's not like, oh, I'm having an an adventure right now. This could make a good book, but rather I am a writer and every situation that I live, I'm seeing the writerly aspects of it or the um, personal things that I have to express that might be different than someone else's. Isn't that what it's sort of all about? Did you feel, I noticed you never, there was never, I was waiting for the moment when you were going to terribly disagree on some topic. <laughs> there was one, what was, there was one where there was a bit, oh, I, I didn't, I'm trying to remember. Were you pretty much always in agreement? We, we, we do agree around a lot of things, oh, I mm-hmm. think, yeah. And that has been something that's been really nice that Renee refers to a lot in the book is that we, we weren't good friends before we started this book and so now we know each other so much better and so it's a thing that we have created together and also it's created a friendship which mm. is something pretty special yeah, yeah. and um, Lizette I, you were saying about how when you were editing and we used to the passages that we had we used to just have our initials at the bottom so when you first start reading um, not not in the book but when you first start reading um, the manuscript you couldn't tell who who had started writing it and nice and and also it's not an, an you know alternations all the time. So sometimes towards the end of the book, our voices apparently merged so much that Lizette couldn't tell whose piece was whose. Yeah, which was surprising. And then yeah, once we fixed it and put the names at the top, suddenly. But it's interesting <laughs> how just seeing the name at the top colours your perception as you're reading it. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a, um, we could add to the thing that the book is not an elegy of, but expresses so well. So we have the non-motherhood elegy, the non-friendship elegy. It's also a book which is expresses this friendship, um, the sharing between two friends. Um, and I, I'm going to slightly move over. To, I don't want to lose the chance to, um, because you, I loved the two definitions that at a certain point each of you um uh, so it offers up a definition of parenting and I thought maybe we could have each one of you read them so I put some little orange post-its here in my copy of the sure. book so we might start with Michelle so a definition of parenting it is hope and trust and fear and sweat and swearing and messing it up and doubt it is looking into tiny huge eyes that are so full of the world you forget to doubt yourself for a moment it is chasing rainbows till you fall into a giggling, breathless heap. And it is your heart beating so hard in your chest every day that it will surely burst. This is what I am stuck in at the moment. It is extreme, and sometimes it is everything. To breathe a little lighter would be a thing, wouldn't it? Like letting rain come without commenting on it. That's so lovely. So, 
I, I gave a pause there. I, I, I hate jumping in on top of things like that. I just think that last line. I would actually, I'm going to reread that last line. Sorry. It's so beautiful. It. No, you did it beautifully, but because there's this thing, we're on a radio and somebody has to acknowledge it. People wonder why there's a long silence. Did my radio turn <laughs> off? So I just, I think this is so beautiful. To breathe a little lighter would be a thing, wouldn't it? Like letting rain come without commenting on it. That is so beautiful. Almost Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. So, Renee. That's where the title came from. No pressure. <laughs> We've got a great one from you as well. So, this is part of a passage about how I fit in all the things that I do. So, I'm an arts practitioner and I'm a doctor and I'm a mum. And those three jobs mean that I'm you know, often have to leave my children, go out, do something, maybe even travel for some days and go and do something and come back to them. And of course, I worry about my relationship with my children because, and this is a very common thing that we tackle, you know, the mother guilt thing, you know, like you, you're not good if you don't look after the other aspects of your life, but you're also not good if you're not there for your children at 100%. And it's this thing that, you know, so many women and men struggle with. Filling the emotional spaces is harder. As I flow from roll to roll through my day, eddies and pockets of turbulence appear. What? You're going out again tonight? The husband says. I told you two weeks ago. My show is on. I have to go. But you opened last week. I like to be in the foyer as much as possible. You're going to tell me it's work. Well, it is work. I'll come straight home as soon as the show finishes, I say, thinking of the conversations about work that I've been planning to have afterwards. He gives me a look. He knows me too well. The children are even more brutal. Leave them for a few days and they'll transfer their snuffly, clingy affections elsewhere. Even if I offer them the ultimate enticement of reading them a book, and when they turn me down turning their heads away and holding their arms out for someone else. A deep, yawning hole appears in my soul and I contemplate giving up everything just for the certainty of a hug when I come home. I dance over rocks, trying not to lose balance. I catch rainbows in treacherous waters. Lovely. Thank you so much. I um, really appreciated the thing about the um, balancing and the guilt feelings because I mine was always baking. <laughs> the school, in the primary school, you know, the, the, where you have to bring the baked food in. And once again, I'm going to buy mine. <laughs> it's such a Kiwi thing, eh? Yeah, like, yeah. Or, or automatically, when you give birth, you inherit the ability <laughs> to, bake. To, to bake without it going flat, yeah. without the proportions coming wrong, you know. Yeah. It's... Now, what about good bitches that know how to bake? Well, Tell that's a that. very nice segue, isn't it? Yeah. So, I, um, the Good Bitches Baking are a charitable organisation who believe that by giving a small piece of home-baked goodness, it shares a piece of kindness, and they've discovered that it brightens the light in lots of people's lives who are having a bit of a tough time. And I am a good bitch who bakes from the West Auckland branch. And so Lisette had generously offered to give a portion of the book's profits to a charity, and I suggested the good bitches, and they were very excited about that, of course. So we're actually having our launch. It's going to be a fundraiser for the good bitches. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. With um, cake tasting, of course. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. well, I'll be there. It'll be great. So is this something you're thinking for other books, Lisette, that you'll publish, that there will be a donation to a charity? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. 
Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. Bagpipe Pulp, go for it. Yeah, so the 1st of May at the Tannery with Renee Lyons, the comedian, writer, and Emma Espiner, help me out here, Tanya, Tanya Page, Page, and Sia Trockenham will be on the panel talking all things mess, magic, and mothering. Oh, fantastic. And then again at the Writers' Festival. Yep. Yes. Yeah, no, we, we have lots of events. So um, Michelle is going to be on a panel. Yeah, I'll be talking about A Very Modern Diary, which segues nicely into your other yeah. piece. Yeah, about, about how we create memories in a literary way in the modern day. I think that's sort of what I was trying to say this whole time. So you yeah. <laughs> you can see that well, you're at the Raiders Festival and I'm not. <laughs> and you, Renee? And later at, later that Friday, yeah. I'll be on Lawn Street. Oh, um, you're on the Lawn Street? Yes. Yeah. Call, but it's got another it, name. What's it called? It, uh, it's uh, something. Lawn Street. Yeah, Lawn, literary, literary on Lawn or something yeah, like literary that. Literary on Lawn, yeah. Yes. And so I'll be um, one of a bunch of writers being given writing exercises, which I then have to do in public. Um, so, yeah, I, I have no idea how that's going to go, but it's going to be fun and pos- potentially embarrassing, which or is why I said yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, hey, you know, I've already already embarrassed myself lots of times, so uh, what's one more time? I think the and word we need to use there is surprising. It's going to be surprising. <laughs> We're going to see what other facets Renee pulls out. Yeah, and then on Saturday I'll get to read an extract of the book as well. Oh, fantastic. So. I'm f- I wish we could pull out more facets. Unfortunately, I'm seeing our clock there saying 29 minutes, so we have to wrap up. So, thank you all very much for coming in. Thank, thank you. you. And the book is When We Remember to Breathe, Mess, Magic, and Mothering. Kakiteano. Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day.